Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Matt. Before we get started this week, a quick request. Uh, we'd like to offer you, yes, you, the listener, the opportunity to tell us how we're doing. Obviously, you're a talented, creative bunch, so we thought we'd make use of that fact and ask you what you like about the show or what you'd like us to add or take away. Basically, we're after some free consultancy. So just head to themediapodcast.com slash survey to get involved. And if you fancy it, you can even enter a prize draw for the chance to win a 50 quid John Lewis voucher. Uh, there's the link in the show notes where terms and conditions also apply. Uh, just head to themediapodcast.com slash survey right now. Hello and welcome to The Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, former Culture Secretary Ed Vasey joins me to discuss what's so enticing about being chair of Ofcom as we discover Michael Grades bagged the top job. The BBC in shock funding story as it actually gains £4 million from the government. We ask if it's the journalist that could save Auntie in the end. And in the media quiz, we provide order where there is chaos. That's all coming up in this edition of The Media Podcast. In this week's news, whilst the industry awaits who'll be the next Ofcom chief, all bets are on Michael Grade. And if he isn't, well, this intro will date very fast. Uh, also on the move is Bob Shannon, the former Radio 2 chief, will be heading up BBC Studios Audio Division after a stint in the more admin side of things as the BBC's managing director. Uh, Edison Research released their Infinite Dial report in the US and found that habits really did change during the pandemic, with the number of radios people owning having dropped and the size of podcast listening also going down. Uh, BuzzFeed News is facing further threats to its survival after it was reported that several large shareholders have urged the CEO Jonah Peretti to shut down the company's news organisation. And The Sun recorded a £51 million loss as the publisher fights costly phone hacking cases. That hasn't affected their highest paid exec, though, who netted £3.6 million last year, up 50%. Now, joining me to talk through some of this week's media headlines is someone for whom that kind of money is merely an advance on her next book about Channel 4. It's media writer Maggie Brown. Hi, Maggie. Hello. I wish it was true. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you, I wonder if you saw the news that Eddie Mayer is retiring from, from LBC? No, I hadn't seen that. I'm, I'm afraid I'm rather out of the loop. I've been um, at a, a completely different type of event all morning, which has been consuming my time. The Surprise Church, which um, had a, a very moving service for journalists under fire. So I'm afraid that's what I've been thinking about, to be honest, the horror of Ukraine. So tell us about that. I heard there was um, uh, some comments from some people in the field as well. Well, it wasn't actually put at the service, but um, it, it's a fact that Lise Doucette and a number of journalists who are out there 
um, when they heard that this service was taking place, and it was you know fairly high powered, um, they they sent messages to the canon at St Bride's, which of course is the traditional Fleet Street Church, and um, said how much they appreciated the fact. Please pray for us. Um, in this, you know, appalling situation. I, I actually think that St Bride's is coming back into its own. For a time, it appeared to have been captured, really, as Fleet Street kind of withdrew. Whenever I went to services, it always seemed to be rather pompous lawyers who kind of all, you know, it's, it's become also Goldman Sachs, all these people around it. And suddenly, it seems like the, the church has completely taken back um, its role as being... Uh, the journalist church so I, I and, and at this moment the other thing about this situation is that it's unquestionably the case that public service broadcasting British broadcasting is back and the BBC well let, let's let, let's I'm going to stop you there we're going to come on to BBC funding in a sec um, also joining us is a radio consultant and all-around audio head Anne Charles hi Anne hello Lovely to be back. We seem to be in the midst of another COVID outbreak, and I think you might have been hit as well. I mean, you spend a lot of time with audio. Do you notice a rise in coughs before the rest of us? <laughs> uh, no, I think most people are very good at editing out, but um, my voice is a bit husky at the moment, so if anyone needs any sexy voiceovers done in the next oh, three days, now's the time to get mm. in there. Well, let's, um, let's pick up on BBC funding, which Maggie mentioned. Kind of in a shock move, uh, the broadcaster is to receive over £4 million from the government. They're getting money rather than it being taken away. Uh, this is according to reports to help it continue its quest to offer independent, impartial and accurate news to people in Ukraine and Russia. Maggie, it's a bit of a change of tack from the government. Does it just show that we really are living in interesting times? Um, I think we're living in far more realistic times. I mean, the BBC was never... Uh, an organisation that should be picked apart by any government because it actually is our broadcaster and in times of national crisis it has to step up to the plate which is exactly what it's doing. I would add as an addendum that of course all of the broadcast media in the UK are doing very well on it, it, on news uh, stories and on news coverage and they're incredibly brave but the fact is that the BBC has this in-depth reporting it believes in being on the ground as much as it can and what's more it can to some extent fulfil that because it has of course world service journalists who've been trained and trained and trained and know the territory and also speak the languages so it, as I watch it you've, you've had a coming together of two of the great public service strands of the BBC you've had the the BBC news current affairs and the big heavyweights coming in and the, and the correspondents who know how to put together a story. For example, they pull together people who are cleared for, as it were, combat zones, but also know how to tell a story. Andrew Harding is a key example of this coming up from South Africa, but the Quentin Summerfield is another one. But at the same time, they also have this world service wing. And I oddly, everybody's been thinking that the BBC has been being destroyed by having to cut back and cut back and put these two services together but here they seem to have put the two wings together and I think they're doing a fantastic job and what has happened of course is that the value of trusted news trusted reporting boots on the ground bravery bravery you know stamina um, Lise Doucette standing there night after night with you know thuds going on around her uh, all of this uh, just makes it, um, and of course, you know, before that, the other presenters as well, they, they have done a very, very good job, plus all of the background stuff as well. So, of course, the BBC is bound to be back in fashion. And I think that the journalists, and I, I, I will 
go to my grave saying this, I think the journalists have actually saved the BBC by providing such evidence of good, proper, consistent, as far as they can do it, impartial reporting and making it, you know, um, clear to people at home. I mean, the ratings are, 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 of course, they're not going to be the same as the night that war breaks out a month later, but they are they are doing very well in the ratings and they're actually doing what they're supposed to do. So I, I now think that the BBC is on far, far safer ground than it was even two or three months ago when Doris was saying this will be the last, last licence fee. I mean, it's amazing watching Lee's Doucet um, report, that combination of, of news, but also emotion and, you know, explaining the situation that she's in and you sort of saw that... Um, great clip about explaining the the, the dome that was was behind her. Uh, and what's the role of radio in a time of war? You know, what what can people get through the wireless than they can't get through TikTok or or the telly? Well, I suppose in relation to this funding, a lot of it is about making sure that you can still get signal and coverage in to places because if there's a war going on, infrastructure goes down. Um, not only due to things being bombed and power not being there, but also signal jamming and all that kind of stuff takes place. So I think some of this funding uh, they were saying is going to be helping to make sure that journalists are broadcasting from a place of safety and there will be some technical infrastructure that goes on. I know colleagues, um, when I was at the BBC who worked in World Service Transmission, had very interesting stories to tell around how they bounce signals uh, around hostile countries to be able to still broadcast in. And I've had a little bit of experience of working in hostile environments as well, where in the past... um, people had had to leave the country and broadcast in because they were no longer allowed to be in that safe space. I mean, radio, of course, does all the things that that, that we know and love it for. The pictures can often be more harrowing. Um, I've certainly been, well, enjoying's not quite the right word, but appreciating Ukraine cast that the BBC was able to spin up very, very quickly. And there have been some people, uh, some stories there uh, of families that they've been following who've been escaping or have been uh, speaking to them and, and talking about having to hide in their bathrooms as, as explosions happen all around them. So it's very powerful. The, the other thing that I just, I mean, obviously we've been praising the BBC. Um, I think IT, ITV News has been doing very well. But I, I particularly have just been thinking especially about the the Ukrainian service and and the Russian service journalists, um, especially the Ukrainian service journalists who are having to report on on things that are really personally affecting them. And I just wanted to um, just raise the fact that we all need to be a lot more aware of trauma and secondary trauma, especially um, in reporting jobs and how, how badly affecting things can be for journalists and for technical staff who are reporting on stories where they do have a personal link and it's that kind of trauma that happens when the the bad thing didn't happen to you but you know enough of the detail that you can imagine a hundred different versions of it and so I just encourage people if they are being affected to go and talk to people there's a really great book called uh, Trauma Reporting for Journalists just just talk to your colleagues about it because the more that we can talk about the fact that this is a real side effect of reporting these stories and that it's not wrong or bad for you to be feeling awful the better absolutely uh, we caught up with michael holmes from cnn um a couple of episodes ago and he talked about um well he, he spoke to us from lviv but he talked about some of his past reporting as well um and you know he remembered all the names of all the people he was with who 
who weren't so lucky as he was, um, was trying to, to, to communicate and use the information to people. Um, and that trust that radio has is, is, is hugely important. Obviously, the, the people that look after radio regulation in the UK, alongside all media regulation, uh, is Ofcom. And former culture secretary Baron Vasey had been one of those mooted to be in line for the big gig at Ofcom in what we shall call the Battle of the Lords, uh, given the amount of Tory peers in the running. Uh, with so much on Ofcom's plate right now, you'd be forgiven for thinking it would be a bit of a poison chalice. Uh, so uh, in this extract of a fuller interview I recorded this week, I started off by asking him about his application to be chair of Ofcom. So I've had two interviews and uh, I mean, we're recording this on the 22nd of March. I keep hearing the rumour that the announcement is imminent. I certainly don't think it's going to be me. I don't quite know why my party doesn't want me to be chairman of Ofcom, but they've made it pretty clear that they don't want me to be chair of Ofcom. But I thought I'd give it a go. I think it, somebody famous once said, uh, you know, if the ball falls loose from the scrum, I would seize the opportunity. So you never quite know what's going to happen, but I'm not expecting a call anytime soon. But yeah, it was a job I would have loved to have done. Why do you want to do it? Well, because I spent a lot of time, obviously, without wishing to sound too weirdly sort of Freudian about this, you know, I love being a minister. I love the ability to kind of take action and being chairman of Ofcom is I don't want to frighten the horses in case I do become chair is a bit like being a minister in the sense that you can help shape the agenda of a very very important regulator with an incredible agenda uh, regulating the BBC regulating channel 4 regulating platforms coming down the line and I'm very confident they will do a brilliant job they're recruiting uh, hundreds of people to do it what could be more exciting but also weirdly I get off on things like spectrum strategy <laughs> broadband coverage which are equally important issues and don't forget the post office post office is in there as well really good point people always forget about the post office or the royal mail to be more accurate we're also looking at um other things you mentioned there channel four we're probably awaiting a sort of government response on the future of channel four and dean dory seems uh, pretty keen to change its ownership structure away from the government. You were around in DCMS when this has been kind of knocked away a couple of times. Are they going to really change it again? Well, first of all, I'm not sure Nadine is that keen. I think she, or, or rather to put it in more accurately, I think she's very open-minded. I don't think she came to DCMS saying, yep, I'm going to privatise Channel 4. John Whittingdale was very keen at looking at privatising Channel 4. And again, I say to people, this is not a sinister point. It's a perfectly legitimate thing to say in the 21st century, do we need a, a broadcaster that is effectively owned by the government, even though the government obviously doesn't pay for it or subsidise it, it's paid for by advertising. Do we genuinely need the government? You know, you look at the Channel 4 board, all of whom are great people, but these are sort of government appointments. Imagine if it was a private media company, the kind of people they would be appointing to their board. They've got a fantastic chief executive in Alex Mahon. But, you know, if you had a uh, Channel 4 in the private sector, would it be actually more innovative and more free to do what it needs and if it's owned by government you know it's moved to Leeds which is I think probably a good thing but it did so at the behest of the government no other no private broadcaster works under those conditions so it's a perfectly legitimate question to ask and I've said to Channel 4 you should have a plan B you should say a bit like Brexit if we're going to be privatised these are the right sort of people as it were or organisations that could own Channel 4 to ensure that we flourish in the future and the government still has backstops in terms of regulation by Ofcom and so on so sure sure but like the thing that I look at like no advertisers and no production companies 
think this is a good idea. You know, nobody actually in the sector, maybe except for Lord Grade, who maybe has got his eye on buying it, is particularly enthusiastic about a shift. People kind of go, it's a bit strange, but it's worked really well. Well, first of all, Lord Grade doesn't want to buy Channel 4. And second of all, he's highly likely to be the next chair of Ofcom, so he couldn't buy it even if he wanted to. But I would say to you, Matt, that one of the things I've always cavilled against you know, when I was the culture minister is there is groupthink on the other side. The, the media industry and, and the culture industry love to kind of attack the Tories and say they're all sort of terrible, evil Philistines. But actually, I say to them, you're as guilty of groupthink as anyone else. You're as small C conservative as any other uh, industry I've come across, and you just go with the status quo. So, of course, they all hate the idea of changing Channel 4 because they're all conservative with a small C. And going back without wishing to annoy too many people to my kind of Thatcherite roots, what I liked about Thatcher was she was exactly the sort of person who would ask these questions. We may come out the other side and it may well be, you know, we didn't privatise Channel 4 in 2015 because it just wasn't worth the hassle. But it may be now with an 80 seat majority, it is worth the hassle and it can be done. It's it's not necessarily even being done to kind of lessen the national debt because it would be a rounding error on that but just to give Channel 4 a new and different future. You're obviously a media operator yourself now with your own podcast. Do you think doing those sorts of things helps you understand the sector better? So I have a, a wonderful newsletter, which I started when I was in opposition. When I was the opposition arts spokesman, I put down a parliamentary question to James Pennell asking who had attended Tony Blair's farewell speech to the arts. And I got my office to find all their email addresses. And we started this newsletter. It's still going it must be 15 years now. We have about 9,000 subscribers. So when I look at some of these really successful media properties, I, I'm so embarrassed. You know, I should be about 900,000 by now. But anyway, people do seem to like it. And I do these podcasts, the tech podcast with a firm called Lion Tree and a culture podcast with a magazine called Country and Townhouse. Now, <laughs> the embarrassing thing is I never listen to podcasts. I really enjoy <laughs> recording them as I'm enjoying recording my podcast with you, Matt. You know, with the culture one, we did Tracy Emin, who's a good friend of mine the other day, and it was a lot of fun, but we meet some really hilarious people on that podcast who I love talking to. And similarly with the tech one, you know, I take deep dives into issues that I find really interesting. So I love doing them, although I never listen to There's something going on with me in audio. You know, I don't put in headphones and listen to music on the tube, or I downloaded Audible and thought I'd listen to a book on the tube every day, and I never do. I just, I don't like... <laughs> things in my ears. (laughs) Something must have happened in my childhood. Make that change. (laughs) Ed, thanks for joining us. So that was Ed Vasey speaking to me earlier this week. Uh, In the full interview, we get into his views on Channel 4 and some juicy detail on the inquiry he and his fellow lords are conducting on the BBC licence fee. Um, That's over on our Patreon. We have a package for you all, whether it's June or a high-flying exec. Just head over to patreon.com slash mediapod for the full half-hour interview. Um, There's a link in the show notes uh, if you want to easily click on it. Um, Maggie, what do you make uh, on the race for the Ofcom chair? Well, I mean, I think that I'd rather fall in line with the um, current chair of the the House of Commons uh, Media, Sport and Digital Committee, who just says it's been a ridiculous farce. Um, it has been a charade of, of two years, two years, trying to come up with a chairman of Ofcom, which um, by any standard is, uh, I mean, bizarre, really. It's never happened. Um, it will be the fifth um, chairman, and they have really made a, a dog's dinner of it. Uh, the, the real problem was that the Conservatives, Conservative government, when they came in, they, they did not want um, 
to have uh, another, they, they see it as a sort of tame chairman, they wanted to, or a BBC oriented chairman or chairperson, um, they wanted someone of, of their own their own brand and of course they wanted Paul Dacre and Paul Dacre mm. actually failed the, 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 the interview test where they have a, an independent assessor and so they redid the interview process and they still came up with nobody because they could decided he'd had enough of being interviewed by whatever he calls the big blob and he, he declined it so they've, they've landed up with um, a choice between somebody nobody's ever heard of um, and Michael Grade uh, a, a, a conservative lifer on one side, but and, and Michael Grade, who's obviously got all the showbiz connections, and in some ways he ticks boxes in that he has chaired everything that you could possibly chair, really. Uh, the BBC, he's been chief executive of Channel 4 when he um, actually did it a great service by setting up the advertising side, which actually allowed it to build its own headquarters and become independent. And of course, then he chaired um, the the ITV um, uh, company and, and was its chief executive, not terribly successfully. Um, and since then, has uh, resumed really his view that the BBC, the, the sorry, the Channel Four should be sold off. That you don't need two public service broadcasters. Um, well, what, I, what can I say? I mean, I think it's good to have a chair, but I'm beginning to wonder if they have any power, to be honest, because Ofcom has ticked along um, uh, for, for two years. And the thing that, that, that needs settling on the broadcasting side right now is who's going to chair Channel 4, oddly. So he does come in at a point when he's hugely influential. But they have managed to recruit four um, non-executive directors who include... Uh, people who really do know about um, broadcasting, including Dawn Airy, who used to and launch Channel 5. So what do I think? Well, I, I kind of, I think he probably will get it. He does know the, me the media business, although, of course, Ofcom is, is really complicated. He's not what I would call a detailed man. So um, it could be that um, the actual people working beneath him who appear to be able to make decisions on a whole wide, huge range of, um, uh, of areas and topics, including postal services, you know, at, at, apart from all of the communications side. It could be that um, it, he'll be detached enough to know um, when to stand back, but it does leave the question of Channel 4, of course, and its ownership open. Although, again, I go back to my view on the BBC, of course, Channel 4 isn't the BBC, but nonetheless, it's a very useful broadcaster with a more youthful profile than everybody else. It does have a very stalwart news at seven o'clock. It does have a good reputation for independent, independent current affairs, and it has a huge number of fans, i.e. independent TV production uh, people, who like it just the way it is. So it's going to be a question of whether... The people who think it is, he will argue it's too small to survive, um, it needs to, uh, a big brother or it needs to be amalgamated and it will be stronger and it will be able to do uh, more drama and, and comedy and all the scripted stuff. That, that, um, but uh, but I, I don't think it's a, um, a, a, a completely um, given thing that, that he will go ahead with privatisation right at this moment in time when the media is in such a state of kind of... Um, uh, require you know it's a required thing now to have 
proper news and and to have respectable people making it. And so we, we know what we've got with Channel 4. And when I spoke to Ed, I sort of pushed back to him and said, look, no one in the production sector and no one in the advertising sector um, wants to privatise Channel 4. They're, they're, they're quite happy how it is. And he suggested that the, the, the media sector is really conservative with a small C um, and just is kind of focused on the status quo. Do you think he was right with that? Uh, is, is the media sector our, us and all our listeners? Do we, are we all the same? I'm interested as to where he's coming from on that. Obviously, he's had a lot of dealings with different types of media folk and we all tend to be in our little silos, don't we? So I suppose he's seeing a different part of the media industry from the one that we all hang out in. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced that we're we're all uh, conservative with a small C. I suppose it depends if he's talking about management or production staff, because there's probably quite a difference mm. in in how those are approaching things. I would say that most production staff in the country have no idea who the chair of Ofcom is, much less care. Okay, uh, we'll be back with more media news after this. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Onwards, on to the other stories uh, from this week. Maggie and Anne are still with me. Um, and then there were three as the UK's second biggest regional publisher, NewsQuest, has bought Archant, the fourth largest in the market. Um, Maggie Archant's been manoeuvring itself into a sale for a few months now. It sold some of its specialist titles a few weeks back, as well as the New European a little while ago. Um, what do they gain from the deal? Is it a good one for them? Well, I think that it's very sad, really. It's, it's, I think it's an example of one of those once robust and um, uh, quite well-respected uh, originally newspaper groups who had a very good rooted existence in one of the most prosperous and kind of self-contained areas of the UK, i.e. East Anglia. Well, prosperous prosperous for farming, uh, not prosperous necessarily for everybody else. But they had, I, I mean, if you, if you visit uh, Norfolk at all and you go to Norwich, you do realise the sense of uh, that this is a place with its own sort of sense of culture and being. Uh, you know, from the Norman Cathedral to the university to everything else, and of course, it's it's very diverse. But it is, I mean, when when you see an, an organisation which has uh, 
magazines on you know canal boats and and chicken raising and and small holdings you know that, that that's just one wing of their operations you you you, you can see uh, that that it did have a place but it has been terribly uh, managed it's been passed from hand to mouth there's clearly been um, a, a lack of understanding of how to adapt your uh, newspaper print-based um, businesses to this entirely new world where you don't necessarily sacrifice your shop front as national newspapers have discovered but you or you you do actually have to work a, a lot harder at, at holding on to your position in a very competitive market and this they've completely failed to do most of the magazine branches have gone they've also sold their uh, west country operations and now they're going into um, what will become uh, the second largest um, group in, in, in the country after Reach. Um, it, it seems to be the way the newspaper industry is going. Uh, one thing that does interest me is the fact that the New European has been sliced off of this and it has some very, um, you might say, um, heavyweight investors who I don't know if they know what they're doing in business, but you've got uh, uh, Mark Thompson, and who's the, of course, former BBC Director General and then running the uh, New York Times, who's come back to sort of, I think, show that he has some uh, business uh, nous. And uh, Lionel Barber, the ex-editor, very successful editor of the Financial Times, who is clearly also pro-European and I think looking for the next sort of big uh, project. In media, ego and desire to have uh, titles um, has always been a big part of, of the media, and perhaps we're just we're just seeing that and with the new European and them getting to play with with something else. And this is your neck of the woods, isn't it, Archon Archon area? Um, uh, is it going to? Do you think it'll be a big loss, uh, a change to News Quest, or actually will it reinvigorate that um, uh, that patch? Um, I don't think it will reinvigorate it. I think it will just be standing by to see what happens in terms of job cuts. Um, there isn't too much overlap between the areas that NewsQuest currently has and the titles that they've bought. So um, for papers like the EDP, the Eastern Daily Press, um, which is the one that mainly covers Norfolk, um, that, fingers crossed, should mean that that publication is OK. I'm guessing that we haven't heard anything about job cuts yet, but I'm guessing that there'll be some back-end sort of admin roles that, that disappear. Um, it's always worrying when there's a threat to, to jobs in media in regional areas. The the eastern region is constantly overlooked. Um, we used to have quite a strong um, offer in Norwich because Anglia Television was a really big deal. Um, there's still a little bit of it here. The BBC Eastern Region headquarters is still in Norwich and obviously we've had We've had some kind of newspaper outfit here since 1845. Um, so it's it's always really concerning when there are fewer options in, in a region like this for people to have a, a media career. Um, the funding, the attention is always on London, or if it's not London, it's Manchester. And the rest of the country gets ignored, is my, is my little plea for the eastern region. I, I mean, I, I live in Wales some of the time, and the weeklies there seem to do really well. Yeah, it's kind of it's interesting. I mean, their their website offer is terrible. You know, the the layout and the design of it, they haven't really got the hang of how to do that. There are still quite a lot of weekly um, titles in in local areas that are not what they were. You know, we don't have local journalists here. They're just compendiums of what's been in the in the EDP, um, but printed and, and shoved through doors. So not everyone gets one. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if those last. Um, 
obviously that will have knock-on effects. I'm involved with the local talking newspaper, so most of our material comes from the local free sheet. So we'll see how that kind of stuff survives in the future. But I suppose at the moment I'm mostly worried for for people's jobs and um, to make sure that they still have one to go to. And also it was interesting, the rumours are that it was only sold for £10 million, which doesn't really seem like that much at all. Um, uh, well, what's quite interesting so, is reach in some markets have invested in local news. They've opened up digital operations um, uh, in new areas um, with NewsQuest. Do you think actually consolidation, you could argue the other way, is the saviour of some of these and that without connection to you know a big HQ uh, and technology and skill, um, they would disappear faster? It depends what they're doing with that knowledge of having a network of local journalists and are they making best use of that, selling that information on, making sure that stories are available nationally, making use of those resources because I think that has been the failing in a lot of regional areas, including in the BBC actually, that they don't recognise that they have good local journalists who can tell stories and that they don't make use of them nationally. So it's interesting because NewsQuest is still very regionally based so it's not like they've now got a network of journalists feeding into a national publication. So that would be the area that I'd be interested to see what happens. But when I've seen, uh, or I've talked to people who work for Reach, what I've found, and I think it's really sad, is that they seem to discard often really experienced older journalists who literally know everything about their area. I keep hearing that over and over again, certainly in, in the northwest, and And, and that is, is a loss of... Uh, both contacts and continuity and of course if new people are joining in those areas those are the very people that you learn the job off if you want to know about your own um, patch and you're you're actually a newcomer to it and I've, I've heard this repeatedly said to me and I and I think there's a great deal of truth in what Anne says uh, and and so we have seen this complete really undermining of what we might call proper local journalism and it is bizarre that it's happening at a point when we're all so concerned about levelling up and we're all supposed to be looking outside of the regions and understanding what the real concerns are of people, uh, you know, in, in areas that are not particularly covered. And it's totally right about the denuding of the East Anglia and, Nor- and, and Norfolk and Norwich of, of ITV studios, which used to make all sorts of interesting network-wide programming and when you go there and you see you can see the remnants of the empires and you think that this is really not not right okay we'll want to keep an eye on uh, over the coming months uh, all of which brings us to the mystical world of the media quiz this week it's entitled order order i have three media law based stories for you but i've mixed up the words you untangle the mess and tell me what the story is so three rounds, buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Anne, you will say... Anne. And Maggie, you will say... Maggie. Remember to buzz in. Right, let's play Order, Order. Uh, question number one. Fight, protect, Chris Mullin, Birmingham wins, pub bombings to source. Anne? Anne. This was the story about the journalist Chris Mullin who... Um, uncovered a lot of stuff that meant that the Birmingham Six uh, were freed because they were wrongfully convicted. And as part of that investigation, the one of the people who actually did the bombing um, told him what had really happened and he's kept that source secret. Um, and he has managed to still keep that source secret. So he's just won a case to say that, that, that journalist sources should be kept secret and that he's allowed to keep that confidential and uh, that the fact that he knows who who did it is not something that he has to reveal to anybody. 
Absolutely correct. One point to you. Uh, Maggie, I mean, every few years there's a threat to journalist sources. Uh, will this keep the police quiet for a bit longer? Well, I think it should, um, because you can't have a real proper investigative journalism uh, if in really, really difficult areas where there is clearly a conflict of interest. But I think we all know really that, and we surely know now, that journalists, uh, the good journalists keep society in, in, in the right order. Um, it will eventually, I'm sure, come out, but we can't expect um, a journalist to go back on a promise like that, which would mean somebody um, being rightly or wrongly um, convicted uh, because he wanted to make sure people knew the truth. I mean, I, I, I stand with the journalists on this. Okay, question number two. Licence, channel, Ofcom, broadcast, revokes, UK, Maggie. RT. Maggie. RT. <laughs> so what's been happening with RT? No, well, I mean, I think there was a belief that it was putting out propaganda. That's the truth of it. I mean, I'm actually, oddly, I'm slightly divided on this because it has such a small audience. And secondly, I don't feel frightened of anything RT says because I would be looking at it if I chose to and thinking, oh, so that's what they're doing. And I mean, uh, it's sad really that, um, that, that, that Russia has decided that Euronews um, will no longer be broadcast. And I've been watching a lot of Euronews to get a slightly different flavor. And, um, you know, th that was slightly later than the BBC and all the rest of it and CNN. And, and, and so I, I've kind of, I'm a little bit divided on it, but on the other hand, I'm not going to go to, you know, war over it. Yeah, this is Ofcom revoking RT's UK broadcast licence, de declaring the channel is not a fit and, fit and proper person uh, to air in the UK. Um, and as Maggie was saying, um, there's always lots of tit-for-tat responses. Should Ofcom have just let it go? Uh, Europe had already sort of turned it off. Have they, they didn't need to get rid of its licence, did they? I suppose it makes Ofcom look like it's doing something. I mean, most of the, most of the things that Ofcom seems to do are telling foreign broadcasters they can't broadcast here. So it fits the pattern. I think I haven't really been watching any RT to kind of be able to comment on whether or not they were um, fit and proper persons. But I think as soon as the, the laws changed in Russia to say that they were no longer allowed to to criticise and they weren't allowed to call the war the war, then that was probably the tipping point that made it almost impossible for them to continue under UK broadcast laws. Uh, that's probably vetoed your chance to be Ofcom chair. Right, question number three. Uh, access, employment, guardian, challenge, wins, legal, tribunal over papers. Anne. Anne. This was the case where the Guardian wanted to have access to some documents that were in an employment tribunal bundle and the initial judge said, oh, you can't have those because it's too much hassle because someone will have to, I don't know, photocopy 700 things and attach it to a carrier pigeon or whatever they used to do back in the days when that person was first a lawyer and uh, the Guardian has now won the case because they're like, that's not a proper reason for us not to have access to things that should be in the public domain. So they've now got access to the documents from a tribunal case uh, involving fi financial case, I think it was. So useful for them to be able to pick through the documents for journalistic purposes. Uh, correct. Uh, another point to you, uh, which makes you, Anne, the winner of the quiz. And uh, because of how you described it there, I will attach the prize to a carrier pigeon and send it over to you. <laughs> so keep, keep an eye out in East Anglia for that. Thank you. That's how we normally do messages around here. So I'm used to that. <laughs> that's fine. Yeah. Uh, that's our show today. Uh, my thanks to Maggie Brown and Anne Charles. Uh, Maggie, where can people keep up with what you're writing about? 
Well, I'm not really writing very much at the moment, so if anybody wants me to write something, I suppose I could. Um, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm doing... Uh, I am doing things, but it's more like um, panels. I mean, the real problem with writing a book is that you have to think much more than you write because mm. it's not the same as writing articles. But if anybody wants me to write something for them, of course I will. Otherwise, I should just go on being a sort of free agent. And I should come on your show. Excellent. Well, if you want me to write something for you, get in touch and we'll take 10%. Uh, and Anne, where can people turn to you for more insight? Um, my website is annecharles.tv. That's A-N-N-C-H-A-R-L-E-S.tv. And I'm at Sparky Anne C on Twitter. And you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you both. And thank you for staying till the end. Uh, if you're enjoying the show, remember you can help us continue to cover the media news each week by doing one of two things. First of all, we would very much like you to become a patron of the show. It really does help us um, support the production uh, of the program. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com slash media pod and there's lots of different levels uh, that you can support um, uh, based on your own circumstances Uh, and also we'd love you to complete our listener survey tell us what you like about the show or indeed what you'd like to see us do more of Uh, there's also the chance to win a 50 pounds john lewis voucher by doing that just go to themediapodcast.com slash survey my name's matt deegan the producer was matt hill with support from phoebe adler ryan it was a rethink audio production i'll see you next time Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.